Good stuff. Uh, today, who, who knows what today is? Pentecost Sunday, sure is. Uh, Melissa and I just got back from a trip. We, we had a chance to take a group of students or to travel with a group of students from, I don't know, about 10 or 12 different states. They were from all over, uh, 60 or so students. Uh, and we went with some other leaders and took them to some historic places of revival. And so we started in Lexington, Kentucky, and then we spent some time uh, at Cane Ridge. I want to come back to that in a minute. We went back to Wilmore, Kentucky, where the Asbury Revival took place in 1970. We had a, uh, Dr. Steve Siemens, who was a student. He was a senior at Asbury University, which was then Asbury College uh, in 1970. And he shared with us firsthand the experience of, of this outpouring of God in a chapel service that started like any other chapel service and then lasted days and days and days without stopping. And, and then began to spread literally all over the country. Uh, we also uh, spent some time uh, with students just worshiping together, teaching them about renewal and about awakening and about the importance of revival and awakening not just being something that's in our history, uh, but revival and awakening being now. That this is the time. Yesterday is not the time of revival. Today is the time of revival. We had a chance, though, to go to a place called Cane Ridge. Uh, it's a camp meeting site uh, around Paris, Kentucky. And it really was the birthplace of the Second Great Awakening. 20,000 people uh, came on this camp meeting. And they, uh, the descriptions uh, that we heard, they would have sometimes as many as seven preachers preaching at once. We're, we're not going to do that today. Uh, but they would have preachers scattered out all over the camp meeting, and people would just go to these different places, and, and you could hear these voices. You know, and back then, no, there were no microphones. No, they just yelled and screamed the gospel. And so this campground was filled with the sound of the good news of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit fell on that place. Now, we were there with these students and these other leaders and literally walking around the grounds and walking especially into the meeting house on the grounds. Uh, you, you could almost hear the ground crying out for revival. The ground that we walked on that had experienced this revival so long ago seemed to be crying out to God uh, to do it again. And, you know, the Bible says that if we don't, the rocks will cry out. And, and creation itself is yearning for redemption and restoration. And, that, and that's a part of revival and a part of renewal. Uh, so we experienced this, this time with these students. It was, it was truly an amazing time. We left uh, from there, from Kentucky, and drove down to Tennessee, spent some time in Nashville, and some time in Franklin. In Franklin, we had a chance to visit a church that E.M. Bounds pastored uh, that experienced revival during his time there. And just, just an incredible time. And so we come back here, and wouldn't you know it, after we spent a week talking about revival and praying for revival and renewal with these students, uh, we come back to Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. Uh, it's the day that we celebrate the birth of the church. Uh, over 2,000 years ago, the church was born. The church of Jesus was born. Now, uh, Pentecost, the word Pentecost comes from the Greek word for 50th. 
And originally, it was a festival uh, that the Jewish people celebrated. Uh, it was a time of celebrating. It was 50 days after the Passover. And they would come together. It was one of the three Jewish pilgrimage festivals. And the pilgrimage festivals where they didn't just celebrate where they were, but they traveled to Jerusalem. And so they would come from all places, all the places that they lived, and they would descend on Jerusalem for these pilgrimage festivals. And, and this particular festival was the celebration of the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. But now in Acts 2, everything shifts. Everything shifts. And, and we're going to read in a minute from Acts chapter 2 about the Pentecost that happened then. Uh, the Pentecost that was not just not a celebration of 50 days after the Passover, but this time it was a celebration of 50 days after the resurrection. Now, they didn't know that. They didn't know it at the time. They had just been told by Jesus to go and pray and wait. You know, but it's interesting. You think about the strategy of God and the way that he moves and the kairos moments that he moves in. He schedules from heaven that Pentecost, the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, will happen when? During one of the pilgrimage festivals when all of the Jewish people have come together in Jerusalem. So that it's not just a small group of people, but it's masses of people. And you, you've read the passage. It's all sorts of languages and tongues from different places, different locations that have come together in Jerusalem to celebrate something else. They thought they were coming to celebrate the 50-day after Passover. They thought they were coming to celebrate the end of the barley harvest, the beginning of the wheat harvest. But God knew that he had brought them together for something else. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now let's pray. Lord, we pray that, that you would speak to us. We believe that there are things that you want to say to us and things that you want to do in us today. And we ask you to come and have your way in us. Um, as we've prayed many times before, there, there's really no one here who needs to hear from me. But every one of us, myself included, needs to hear from you. And so we pray that your voice would be heard. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So in the Acts 2... Pentecost, and you know, you read in the passage, it, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, but, you know, they already had this Pentecost celebration. So they're gathered together for that, and when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and everything changed, y'all. Everything changed. Uh, Acts 1 8, Jesus had actually said uh, to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus also refers back to Joel. He calls this thing that's going to happen, this outpouring of his spirit, he calls the promise of the Father. And in Joel chapter 2, he quotes, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. A couple of weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about waiting. We talked about the importance of waiting. We, we don't particularly like to wait. We like for things to be now. We like for things to be quick. We like for things to come fast. But God likes sometimes for us to wait. And sometimes God takes us into a time of waiting. That's a part of the process that he moves us through. Jesus tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait. Now, he's already given them their, their assignment. He's told them what their assignment is. But he instructs them then to go to, to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. They, they knew what their assignment was, but they were powerless to accomplish it without the promise of the Father or the promise of the Spirit. Prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was present and active in the world. Uh, but his work was to anoint specific people at specific times for specific purposes or specific tasks. And so it would be better characterized as the Holy Spirit upon us. But there's a new day coming that Jesus has told his disciples about. There's a day coming at Pentecost, at this particular Pentecost, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit where the Spirit will not just come upon them, but will actually come to live in them. Ezekiel 36, 26 says it this way. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. In you. Now, according to John's gospel, chapter 3, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict, to convert, to consecrate. There was a, a beautiful uh, track written years ago by a man named Elmer Murdoch, and the name of the track was Step Up to Life. Step Up to Life. And, and he proposed that there are five places, five steps that each person goes up. And step number one is the place of unconcern. And then the step number two is the place of concern. Step number three, the place of conviction. Step number four, repentance. And step number five, saving faith. Here's the thing we need to understand about those steps. Is that every step, when we are in the place of unconcern, the work of the Holy Spirit is to move us from unconcern to concern. And sometimes it's circumstances that happen in our life. Sometimes it's somebody, a relationship that we have, someone that talks to us or shares with us or prays for us. But God, through his spirit, moves us from that place of unconcern into the place of concern. And in that place of con concern, he begins to bring conviction. So we go from unconcern to concern, and then he moves us into a place of conviction. And again, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't just decide. 
You don't decide to go from unconcern to concern. And you don't decide to go from concern to conviction. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit all along moving us, wooing us, moving all around and in us to move us forward. And when he gets us into the place of conviction, what does conviction do? Conviction moves us to the place of repentance. And then repentance takes us to that place of saving faith. So conviction before we are Christians, his primary work is to convict us of sin and to show us our need for Jesus. And then conversion, he makes us sons and daughters in conversion. That's why Romans 8, 15 says, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave. You receive the spirit of sonship. And then the third thing that he does, according to John, is he consecrates us. This is a big deal. This is important. He consecrates us, which means he sets us apart for a purpose. He sets us apart for a purpose. Now, we have an assignment, right? We know what our assignment is. Our assignment is the same assignment that he gave his disciples, to go and make disciples of all nations. That's our assignment. But our purpose, our purpose, which is forever connected to and essential for the completion of our assignment, is different than our assignment. Our purpose is to love God in the deepest way possible. To love God in the deepest way possible. And that's why when, when asked, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, here's the deal. This is something that, that so many people have failed to grasp. If you attempt the assignment without entering into the purpose, number one, you'll probably become religious, maybe even legalistic. And number two, most likely you'll get frustrated and most definitely you'll fail. You'll fail. Ian Bounds said it this way. There can be a great deal of earnestness. If you don't know what earnestness means, it's an old-fashioned word that just means sincerity. There can be a great deal of earnestness without the least bit of anointing. You can try really hard. You can try really hard to do good things. But without the infilling of the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we fail. But if you surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow him to draw you into the place of deep love, you will passionately give yourself to the assignment. Nobody will have to recruit you for it. Nobody will have to convince you or persuade you to it. If you allow the Holy Spirit to, to draw you into the place of deep love, you will passionately go after the assignment. You see, the Great Commission, make disciples, without the Great Commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, is just work. It just becomes work. But in the place of deep love, it becomes a life purpose. 
In the aftermath of Pentecost, uh, we find a church that is on fire. Uh, God has poured his spirit out. They've been filled. They've been baptized in that fire that John the Baptist was talking about. And in the aftermath of Pentecost, we find this newly born church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching. They, they want to learn everything they can about God. They are in love with God, and they want to learn everything they can about him. Just like when you fall in love with a person, you want to find out everything you can about them. And that, that's where they are. And they don't have a New Testament yet. And so they are hanging on every word that the apostles are teaching. They want to know everything they can about God. And they are filled with awe. They are filled with awe because of the signs and wonders that are happening before their very eyes. The things that they're seeing God do in others and even the things that God is doing in them and for them. They're filled with awe and they are continually amazed at the power of God. Third, they are united. They are united. They are one. They are sharing meals together. They are helping each other. They are tending to the needs of each other. They are praying together. And fourth, they're winning people to Jesus every day. Every day. Now, let me say, those are great things to go after, right? Uh, devoted to learning, devoted, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, be, being filled with awe and, and gratefulness over the things you see God doing, being united as a body, good things. Winning people to Jesus every day, those are great things to go after. Great things to go after. But I want to say that if you focus on these things and you try to do them, apart from the place of deep love. Guess where you'll wind up? Religious, legalistic, frustrated, failing. Because there's nothing that God has called us to do in and of ourselves, by ourselves. But everything that he has called us to do, everything that he has commissioned us to do is done from the place of deep love. Because that is the place where we surrender to him and he empowers us. He pours his love into us. So we got a newlywed couple sitting here on the front row. Y'all been married, what, two weeks? So a couple of weeks ago at MJ and Connor's wedding, I said to them, you, know, you guys want to love each other. You do. You want to love each other. And right now, you feel like you got what it takes. But I want to say to all of you, marriage is built on the foundation of unconditional love. And guess who is able to love unconditionally forever? One person. God. He's the only one. And that's why I said to Connor and MJ on their wedding day, the key to your marriage is Jesus being in the heart and center of everything because, Connor, the love that you want to give to MJ, Jesus will pour through you. It will be his love in you. MJ, it'll be the love of Jesus in you for Connor. That is your hope. That is your hope to sustain relationship because everything that God has called us to do, guess what he said? Faithful is the one who has called you. 
and he will watch you do it, right? No. Faithful is the one who called you and he will do it. He will do it. And that's why he calls us into this place of deep love. If you surrender to the Holy Spirit and ask him to fill you and to take you into the place of deep love, he will put within you both the desire and the ability to live out the things that you see in Acts chapter 2. Because ultimately, Pentecost is about love. Pentecost is about love because the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit baptism is about love. That's why the scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. D.L. Moody, if you don't know who he is, you need to know. So Google it. D.L. Moody described it like this. On being filled with the Holy Spirit, D.L. Moody said, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. The love of God was so powerfully on D.L. Moody that he actually had to ask God to back up. He thought he was going to die. It was so good. Charles Finney, another great that you need to look up if you don't know him, he described it like this. There was no fire and no light in the room. Nevertheless, it appeared to me as if it were perfectly light. As I went in and shut the door after me, it seemed as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It did not occur to me then, nor did it for some time afterward, that it was wholly a mental state. He was having a vision, and he thought it was actually real. On the contrary, it seemed to me that I saw him as I would see any other man. He said nothing, but looked at me in such a manner as to break me right down at his feet. I fell down at his feet and poured out my soul to him. I wept aloud like a child and made such confessions as I could with my choked utterance. It seemed to me that I bathed his feet with my tears, and yet I had no distinct impression that I touched him, that I recollect. As I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such a thing for me, without any recollection that I had ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God 
I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept out loud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. Lord, I cannot bear any more. Yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir came into the office to see me. He found me in this state, state of loud weeping and said to me, Mr. Finney, what ails you? I could make him no answer for some time. And he said, are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best I could and replied, no, but so happy that I cannot live. <laughs> Pentecost, what do you think? The disciples were in a room, Jesus told them to go wait. He didn't give them a date. He didn't say, go wait, and next Thursday at 7 o'clock, I'll be there. He said, go wait. And they went. Now, think about what they've been through. They were with Jesus for three years, pretty much every day. They had fallen desperately in love with him. Their lives had been turned completely upside down for him. And then he was taken away from them and crucified. They watched him die. He was put in a grave. And then on the third day, the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And he came back to them. He walked into rooms where they were meeting and he talked to them. He, he met them on a beach and he fed them. He gave them fish and he, he spoke to them again and, and they were ecstatic. He, he met a couple of them on the road as they were walking towards Emmaus and then he left again. With him every day, lost him. He came back for a few days and then he left them again. And he said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And all the Bible tells us is that they were in an upper room praying. What, what do you think they were praying? What do you think? I'll tell you what I think. I think they were praying desperately, come back. Come back. We need you. Come back. We love you. We don't want to spend another day without you. We don't want to spend another minute without you. Please, 
Please come back. And he did. He did. 2020. 2020 was a rough year, wasn't it? 2020 was a rough year for, for a lot of people. If I'm honest, and I want to be, if I'm honest with you, 2021, for me, it's been harder. Harder. And if I'm really honest, the five months, the first five months of, of 2021 have been the hardest years of my 42 years in ministry. In February, I wanted to quit. It's the first time ever. I wanted to quit. I wanted to run away. I did. And my prayer during those days was, I can't do this. I'm afraid. I'm alone. Where are you? Come back. And during those months and during those weeks, God spoke to me a lot of things. He said, I'm not going anywhere. I've been with you all along. I've never left you. He said, you're mine, Tom. I know you. I love you. I'm with you. We're probably the most powerful thing to me. The most powerful word that God gave me during those days was when he said, I see you. I see you. It was during those times in February when one Sunday morning, a, a lady from our church, and she was, she was at the first service today, and she walked up after the service was over and she stood right there, right there behind my wife, and she looked at me and she said, Thank you for staying. She didn't know what was going on in, inside of me. And she looked right at me and said, thank you for staying. And at that moment, I felt like it was perhaps the, the kindest thing that anyone had ever said to me. And the reason was because in what she said, I heard God say, I see you. I know. I know what you feel. I know that you've hurt. I know you've been disappointed. I know you felt alone. I see you. And everything about this, I see. Today, uh, there are a lot of us, maybe, who are in a place similar to where the disciples were. You know, they, they didn't know what was going to happen. They just knew that Jesus said, go and wait. They didn't know how long they'd have to wait. They didn't know. They knew there was a promise. Jesus had never broken a promise yet. So they went and they waited. And I have to believe that they felt alone and they felt scared. And I just want to say to you today that no matter how alone you might feel, no matter, no matter how scared 
you may be, no matter how deeply you may hurt. God sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's with you. Maybe today we could all use a fresh baptism of his divine love. Maybe today would be a great day for us to be saturated in that deep love of God. We, we talk um, at Riverstone a lot about worship. It's, it's one of the things that we, we feel is, is a pillar. Uh, we we want to be a house of worship. We do, and, and we love to worship. I, I want to say to you, I want you to understand what I mean when I say worship. Um, worship to me is not, not music. It's not about music. I don't care whether it's a, an electric guitar or a pipe organ. Worship to me, is, it's not about music. It's not about songs. It's not about liturgy. Even though all of those things are great and all those things can, can put us in the pathway of God's grace. Worship is this. Worship is me on my face, arms wrapped around the ankles of Jesus, bathing his feet with my tears. That is worship. That is the place of deep love. You can't will your pl- yourself to that place. You can't. You can't. But if you surrender your heart and ask him, he will fill you so completely with his spirit, so fully with his love that he will draw you into that place of deep, deep love that will cause you to say, I think I might die, but it's oh so good. What a way to go. What a way to go. Now let's pray. Mm. Jesus, we, uh, we know that you made us, you created us as the object of your affection. You made us because you wanted to love us. And you loved us so that we could then love you. And so we pray again today, pour your love out. Pour your spirit out here. Pour your love out here. Let the river of your love that is your spirit flow in this place today. Sweep us up. Sweep us up. Carry us away. Drown us in your presence. We want to be completely yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.
I'm going to ask our teams to come and get into place. We want to have a time of ministry, pray for folks. Um, it, it could be that you're here today and you, and you have to say, you know, Tom, I, I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never given my life to Jesus. I'm thinking about those steps and, you know, unconcerned, concern, you know, conviction, repentance, faith. I don't even know where I am, but I'm somewhere on, on those steps. And maybe you want to come today and let us lead you up the steps to a place of faith and giving your life to Jesus. Maybe, maybe that could happen today. It could be that you want to, for the first time or the second time or the 1,000th time, ask God to fill you with his spirit and, and to just bathe you and saturate you and, and put you in that place of deep love. Maybe you've been there before, but you feel like kind of drifted out. I'd love to, love to get back in to that place. Uh, just want to encourage you today. If that's you, just come uh, for prayer. If you want a team to pray for you, if you'd rather just kneel here at the steps, you can do that as well. God created you to love you. And he loved you so you could love him. Okay, let's stand together. God, we can't, can't manufacture it. We, we can't will ourselves to it. There's no amount of discipline that will create it. It's you. It's all you. So we pray. Holy Spirit. Move in this place. Move in our hearts. I pray that we will not resist you. I pray that we will not push against you. I pray that our hearts will be open for you to do whatever you want to do. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way here. In Jesus' name, amen.